Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is on sabbatical. Today, our guest is Zen Honeycutt, founder of Moms Across America. Zen and I will be talking about her observations of the Monsanto cancer trial, where Monsanto was found, mm, I don't know what that's called. I can't say guilty, but they lost and have to pay $298 million to Lee Johnson. And we'll get to that in a moment. I have a short announcement about the, it's a really great article. I'll be posting snippets from this in chat as we listen, as we talk with Zen. And then the article is, The World Reacts to the Roundup Cancer Trial Guilty Verdict. And they're just observations, really great observations, international observations from France and Germany and other countries that are talking about how in some of those countries they've already banned glyphosate and products based on glyphosate. And they're observing that this may be the, you know, this could be the turning point for Monsanto to really be pushed to remove it from the world. Uh, I live in a state, I live in California where the state of California already labels Roundup or glyphosate as a potential carcinogen. So we have awareness here. And it's really, it's a great story. But first, a short ad by our sponsor. Have you had enough? Our civil and health rights are being ignored at every turn. More than ever, alternative health care services are needed. Please accept our invitation to be a part of the renovation of healthcare in America. Guardian Party members receive free software, free online classes, free monthly newsletter, free forum access. For more about health for the people, by the people, visit us at www.guardiansofthepeople.com. Zen Honeycutt is the founder and director of Moms Across America, a nonprofit national coalition of unstoppable moms, with the motto, Empowered Moms, Healthy Kids. Moms Across America has grown rapidly. Well over 400 leaders have created 700-plus community events in all 50 states. Moms Across America empowers and amplifies the power, the voice of the mom locally and nationally to create healthy communities by raising awareness about GMOs and related pesticides in our food. Zen has three boys with allergies and autism symptoms, which greatly improved when they went GMO-free and organic. She discovered that thousands of moms are seeing the same results, and Moms Across America is expanding to mothers across the world with co-creator Vandana Shiva. Zen has been featured on CBS, CNN, The Dr. Oz Show, The Wall Street Journal, C-SPAN, and Moms Across America has been on Fox News, Reuters, ABC, and more. Zen is joining us to give a report from her courtroom experience of the trial where Monsanto was ordered to pay $289 million dollars in the world's first Roundup cancer trial for failing to warn Lee Johnson and consumers of the cancer risk of weed killers. Welcome, Zen. It was great to see you on CBS adding the real-world view of growing healthy kids because in that, in that piece, there was a lot of just words and stuff and things, and, and nobody was really talking about that part of, look, we're trying to raise healthy kids here. And that was, I was happy to see you in that piece because otherwise it was just talking heads talking about theory and nobody really willing to say, you know, look, there's traces of glyphosate 
in my kid's organic cereal. And that's, a, I want to save that for later because I have a whole like, what? But we won't go there now because that's a whole separate show. We're here to talk about the amazing Monsanto defeat, I like to call it. And you were in the courtroom. How, let, let's start by talking about the courtroom setting, the sort of feel of the courtroom, how many days you were there, all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you, Richard. I really appreciate being on the show. It was intense, I have to say. The courtroom was full, they were, and that was about 60 people. It was a small courtroom. They did have a runoff room. Uh, I don't know how many people were in there, but it was a couple dozen. And there were media from every major news channel there, ABC, NBC, CBS. And it was intense. It, it was completely silent. You were not allowed to have emotional expressions on your face because the um, defense might claim that the audience was trying to sway the jury. So you had to be very careful with the expressions that you had on your face. Um, of course, sounds and laughing and all that would be frowned upon. So it was very quiet. And I was there for the closing statements, which was the entire day. It was about an hour to begin with the judge reading the instructions to the jury. And there was about an hour before that even about what could be allowed in the closing statements and submitted for evidence. And of course, the defense was arguing back and forth that uh, certain things should not be allowed as evidence that were completely ridiculous, right? Basically things that would harm them. They wanted not to be allowed. And, uh, and so then they, she read them the instructions and it was odd to me. I mean, I haven't been in a lot of courtrooms like this, but some of the instructions seemed in favor of Monsanto. Like for instance, she said, you are instructed to judge the defense as a person and not as a corporation huh. with all due fairness. And I thought, really, is that they are a corporation though? And they are making a profit from selling this product, right? They benefit out of it. They're not just one person. So that seemed very odd to me. And I'd love to know from a lawyer more about that, if that is really, if that's a traditional thing, because the judge seemed to rule in favor quite often from what I've talked to with other people that were there for the entire time, seemed to rule in favor of the defense of Monsanto um, in several things. And one, I'll give you an example, which this is just going to blow your mind. She said that the plaintiff, plaintiff's lawyer could not present the information that glyphosate was placed on the California Prop 65 list as a carcinogen. They, what? The, ju the jury what? could not. Oh, my God. Stop the show. Yeah, oh, my the, God. Really? The wow. jury could not hear that fact even though this was a case being heard in California and the case was about whether or not Roundup and Ranger Pro are carcinogenic. Wow. It, it, it was, it's stunning to me that that was not allowed. And the defense fought hard for this because they said it's not relevant. It's not, it's just confusing. Well, they fought for it to not be ad ad admissible because it's damning evidence. <laughs> It's there. It's our California. I live in California. It's our California Environmental Protection Agency that has put glyphosate on the Prop 65 list. So that type of ruling from the judge, you know, it was really had people wondering, like, what's how is this going to play out? And all of the things that the defense asked to be 
removed, you know, many of them, not all of it, many of them, she, she granted, you know, but some, some she did not. So, so they went through that process back and forth of what should be um, admissible and what should not be. Uh, another example is there's a chart that the plaintiff's lawyer would show saying that really you don't have to decide as a jury that these glyphosate-based herbicides, you know, the defense's products caused the cancer. You have to only decide from a 51% it is likely that these prod products contributed to the cancer such that he has today. In other words, it's mm. likely, it's more than likely, right, that his cancer wouldn't be at the stage that it's at if he wasn't doused in Roundup and Ranger Pro in the accidents that he had when he was spraying the 50 gallons of, of these products an hour, mm. right, when, when he was spraying. Um, that, you know, that it is more than likely that these products contributed to the, to the um, growth of his cancer. It, didn't, it doesn't have to cause it. It doesn't have to be irrefutable. It doesn't have to be without a shade of doubt. So there was just a chart that showed 50 to 51%. And of course, the defense wanted that to not be allowed to be shown <laughs> because hmm. that would hurt their case, right? And, um, and the lawyer on the plaintiff's side, Brent Wisner, said, listen, Your Honor, not in a single case has this ever you know, of, of this kind, has this graph ever or this chart ever not been allowed? It's always been allowed. And we need to be able to continue to present it as has been done, you know, historically. So we're very glad that she did allow it. But she did warn him that he can't, you know, say certain things and, um, you know, um, speculate and compare it to uh, big tobacco science too much. You know, she's like, this is not a case about big tobacco science. This is a case about Monsanto and the client and all that stuff. So there was back and forth. And then when the case began, you know, the jury sat down and uh, Brent Wisner gave his opening statements. He did a stellar job. He went through the questions, which maybe we'll go through in a little bit, that the jury needed to uh, come to a conclusion on yes or no. I thought it was also interesting that none of the wording said guilty or not guilty. I would have loved there to have been a bunch of <laughs> statements saying guilty, you know, but uh -huh. that, that wasn't in the wording. It was just yes or no. And so he went through all of those with giving evidence showing that, yes, you know, Monsanto did know that glyphosate herbicides can cause cancer, you know, diff different questions like that. And so he went through and basically fought the case by answering each one of those questions. He wasn't all over the map. He was very specific. He gave, um, a, he had a timeline of when Johnson, the school pesticide applicator, was exposed to the product and when his rashes developed and when they did not develop. I mean, he actually had a doctor statement, you know, a statement, the doctor's files saying that there were no, there was no rash present at a certain time. And that was important because the defensive side was trying to say, oh, he had this rash before he was, you know, mm. exposed the second time. So his cancer was already developing. It would have developed anyway, was their argument. And um, you, you have to be very careful about what, you know, the plaintiff's lawyer is telling you because it's, it doesn't add up. You know, they just kept trying to instill doubt in the, in the timeline um, in particular. So Mr. Wisner, the, the lawyer for Johnson, did a, a phenomenal job. He was clear. He connected. He created this whole concept of, like, look, this is really nothing new. This happened with big tobacco science. You know, the science showed that it was harmful, but it took 
society 20 years to catch up to it and to realize that this is what was really happening and to see the harm that was happening in the public. And then it was, it became clear to the public and the jury had to say, you've done wrong and you need to pay. Right. So this is the same type of situation. And the defense, of course, didn't like that, but he, he, he painted a bigger picture is what I'm trying to say of the very common corruption and collusion and misleading tactics that go on with anybody that sells any type of carcinogen. So he, he did an excellent job with that. And then the, the defense's side was just basically repeating over and over again that there's overwhelming evidence that glyphosate does not, does not cause cancer. Overwhelming, I tell you, there's overwhelming evidence. I mean, it was just, he was trying to say it so many times that the jury would just believe him. And I can get into more about what he said, but it, it, it was basically trying to instill doubt in the plaintiff's argument so that they couldn't be sure, or not, maybe they didn't even have to be sure, but they, they wouldn't lean in that direction. He was just trying to instill doubt. Hmm. It, was, it was very intense. And I was very impressed by the work that the lawyers put into it. And really, I just felt great to be in the room because of years of working on this issue, basically devoting my life to ridding our food supply of GMOs and glyphosate. Uh, it was very gratifying to be in the room and it was truly a historic day. And when we heard the verdict a couple of days later, I was just sobbing, just crying. It was just mm -hmm. a huge relief. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in, in, in the trial, I read notes somewhere in the piles of things that I read about it that Monsanto had engaged in some pretty, what's the word, nothing I can use on air, underhanded practices, we'll call that, mm -hmm. you know, like paying people off or ghostwriting articles or, you know, clear, just blatantly lying about their product. And there was, there was even conversation about collusion with the EPA officials. Yes. Can you yes. talk about that? Sure. They, you know, the discovery process of this lawsuit was fabulous because they were able to get the emails back and forth from Monsanto to the EPA because the EPA is a government funded agency, right? It's, a, it's taxpayer dollars that are paying their salaries. So we as citizens have a right to see what they're saying and how they're doing their work and what their, you know, emails are and all that. So anybody can do a freedom of information act, frankly, but in a discovery process, it's much easier to get all kinds of information. And they did. And um, Monsanto made a mistake by not filing a certain piece of paperwork that would have made that those discovery documents um, not uh, allowable to be uh, shown to the public. And they didn't file that. So the law firm that received, wow. yeah, so the, the law firm that re received those wow. documents was able to release them to the public even before they went to trial. So the public that's interested in this information has already seen a lot of what's going on in those emails. And, and so what I'm going to say going to be nothing new to some, to some people, but to others, it, it may be. One of the emails that was sent was from... Jess Rollins, who was a EPA employee who worked on the glyphosate, he was the head of the glyphosate committee at the EPA that was supposed to be reviewing glyphosate uh, for, for whether or not they're going to reapprove it or for toxicity or, you know, whatever. So on the glyphosate committee review board, right? 
And he sent an email to a Monsanto employee that said, I, I don't know exactly, but to the extent of, I am going to, don't worry, I will squash this or I will kill it. One of those words. And if I do, I should get a medal. That part is, is verbatim. If I do, I wow. should get a medal. Yeah. So he was clearly working on behalf of the chemical company and not on behalf of the American taxpayers who were paying his salary. He was joking about it and making fun and light of it. And Marion Copley, uh, God bless her soul and have her rest in peace. She's passed away from cancer, breast cancer. She was also on the committee. She was, had worked at the EPA for many years, um, I believe as a toxicologist. And she said to Jess Rollins in another email or a memo, come on, Jess, stop playing your games. You know that glyphosate causes cancer in as many as 14 different functions or mechanisms, you know, that the ways that it can cause cancer is as high as 14. So EPA staff members knew that glyphosate can cause cancer. In fact, they listed it as, I, I don't think it was a probable carcinogen. I was like, maybe a carcinogen or likely to be a carcinogen. One of the lower levels of carcinogenic, you know, effects back in 1983. Wow. They listed it. And then Monsanto, I'm sure, encouraged them to remove it because it wasn't long after that that they did remove it off of the list as a carcinogen or having carcinogenic qualities at some level. So this is, it's, it was nothing new to the EPA and Monsanto that glyphosate could have carcinogenic qualities. And that's why when they found out that the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the IARC, was going to be reviewing it a year before the IARC put out their assessment or their finding, Monsanto had showed, there were memos going back and forth showing that they were scrambling to do some CYA, right? To cover their butts on, wow. on what the results were going to be. They knew way ahead of time that they were going to have to be taking some serious actions to protect their product and the, the information that would be coming out. They knew. They knew ahead of time. So that is why the jury ruled unanimously that Monsanto acted with malice and oppression mm. were the exact words in hiding the information that they knew about glyphosate and not giving that information to the consumer and to Johnson, to the plaintiff. So this is a very serious issue and is putting chemical companies around the world on notice that they cannot continue to get away with these types of practices and think that we consumers are not going to find out about it because we will. <laughs> right. And what I want to jump slightly to what has been the reaction internationally? I mean, we have a story, you know, happening here. It's been on most news feeds here. What is the reaction in the world? I mean, there are other countries that are already stopped allowing glyphosate into their countries. But internationally, what has been the response? They must, it must be, you know, a excitement, or I'm not sure what the appropriate word is. Well, already 30 countries, 30 countries around the world have either banned or restricted glyphosate. This is just in the past, say, five years. And, and I have to say that glyphosate testing in breast milk that we put out in 2014, I think, had a 
played a big role in this because when glyphosate, I'm sorry, when DDTs and PCBs were found in breast milk decades ago, within five years, they were banned. So finding that this chemical, this herbicide in our breast milk was, I believe, really shifted things in a way globally that had regulatory agencies say, hang on a second, what is going on here? We cannot have a weed killer in our mother's milk. This is not good for future generations. So some countries such as Germany and France, within a month of that information came, coming out, stopped the, the practice of spraying glyphosate as a drying agent on their crops, like their wheat or soy, that, those types of things, as a drying it, using it as a drying agent. So they're not genetically modified, but they just spray Roundup towards the end of the harvest so that the whole crop crop dries out uniformly and it's faster for them to harvest. And uh, that practice has been stopped in many countries around Europe and glyphosate has been banned in many, in several countries. So we're very excited about that. And um, the world reaction now is that this, this is very serious. And of course, Monsanto and Bayer con continue to claim that it's safe that they're going to appeal, that this is, you know, not real, based on real science. But there are leading people around the world. There's a great article by Sustainable Pulse that talks about uh, the world's reaction to, to what's happening. If you take a look at Sustainable Pulse's website, they have the world reacts to the Roundup cancer trial uh, guilty verdict. World leaders, okay, so here's one. The France, France's environmental minister Nicolas Hulot, I think, told France 24 that this is the end of arrogance for Bayer and Monsanto. But it, this verdict, can never repair what this American gardener has irreversibly suffered. This is also true for Paul Francois. This is a cereal farmer who's been fighting Monsanto since 2007, after he was seriously poisoned by the Monsanto herbicide lasso. Said Hulot, nothing will repair the pain and loneliness of these victims. It really is the weak fighting against the strong. Mm. And, yeah. And, and that statement really sums it up. We, we are, we're thrilled about this verdict, but $289.2 million is not going to give this, man's, give this man his life back. It's not going to give his two sons their father for the rest of their lives. It's not going to give his wife comfort and companionship for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. That that is irreplaceable. Yeah. And yeah. and and it is just reprehensible. It is it is unforgivable. It is unacceptable. It is criminal that the, it has been allowed to go on this long. Because we know and they know, we all know now that Monsanto and the EPA knew product could cause cancer. And they continued to allow it in our food supply in our water supply, in our backyards, our gardens, our parks, and our playgrounds. And this is going to stop today. This, is, this needs to be the end of it. And I can't imagine that there's any chance that Monsanto will win an appeal, but will an appeal, the process they go into now, will that delay the stopping of glyphosate? Or do we think the international influence will be such as from France or from these other, I'm on the same page, you know, the German prime minister or France or these mm -hmm. other countries that are piping in. Do you think that they'll just stop it because they have the brains to understand that versus this country will still <laughs> try and use it until we're down to our last moment? Yeah, I think they will because 
there there's such an outcry going on right now. Greenpeace is suing the uh, European uh, agencies. They are asking for it to be removed off the market immediately. There's a UK store called Home Base that has put out a statement saying that they are reconsidering the sales of Roundup. And I think what's happening is everybody is saying, well, okay, it's clear we need to stop spraying this or using it or selling it. It's pretty clear now. I mean, this is a verdict that came down by a jury that sat and listened to expert testimonies for nearly eight weeks, right? Wow. A lot of science. Yeah, a lot of science was presented. So it's very clear that they need to stop using this product and stop selling it. But it's going to take a little bit of transition to take those, that, those products off the shelves and to have a replacement that is effective. There are many alternatives out there, safe alternatives, high percentage vinegar, and several different name brands that are, you know, organically created or organic type alternative uh, weed killers. But uh, it, it will take longer, especially with the GMO crops, right, that have been genetically engineered to withstand Roundup. 80% of crops that are genetically modified are engineered to withstand Roundup and glyphosate-based herbicides. So this has a huge implication on the farming community. Now, they're not banned from using it, but it's very clear now if they use it, there could be legal implications. I mean, there, there's been a lawsuit and there's been a verdict in, in favor of the plaintiff for $289 million. If that doesn't scare somebody who's spraying this on their crop, I don't know what will. So I would imagine that that most farmers and Home Depots and you know hardware stores and anybody that's selling this product would be reconsidering the legal implications of being connected to this product. And so they're looking for alternatives now. And I think it is just a matter of time before these stores begin to pull Roundup off the shelves, replace it with an alternative, and um, and sort of just quietly retire Roundup. And I don't mind if that's how it happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it happens quietly, a, that's okay. You know, yes. That's okay. You know, it's just, it, it just, it needs to go. That's all. And, and so we, we look forward to that happening around the world. There are, there's a, a great response to the, to the verdict by this jury. And I, we really do acknowledge every moment that this jury spent taking notes, listening intently. I didn't see a single jury falling asleep or nodding off. Uh, one of the lawyers said that they, some of them had as many as five, five notebooks worth of notes. Wow. And they delivered, yeah, they deliberated for two full days afterwards. They didn't just, let's just go around and in an hour, let's make a decision. They really, they deliberated for two more days. And they really, really thought about this carefully. And it was unanimous on every question hmm. that they needed to consider, um, except for one. And that was the amount in which the jury awarded the plaintiff of uh, punitive damages. And the punitive damages are, are sort of the punishment for Monsanto that is, sends a signal that you can't do this again because the cost is too great, right? It, it's, you've got to make a change. And the punitive damages, uh, we can go into specifically what the, you know, the, the um, quality for that needed to be, but one person voted no to that amount. And I would like to just imagine in my head that that person wanted them to pay more mm -hmm. because what the, the, what the lawyer said that they should pay is six years of their profits. Their, I mean, their interest, not their profits, their interest. So 
Monsanto has $6.1 billion of net worth. They have $3.1 billion just on hand, just sitting around. And on that $3.1 billion, they make an interest at an average of 2% a year, which is conservative, of $62 million a year just for doing nothing, just the money just sitting mm-hmm. there and it sitting just makes there. interest. Yeah. So, yeah. So what, so what the lawyer Brent Weiser said was, I think, you know, the plaintiff should have that interest for, for the six years in which he used the product. And that would come to $373 million. And then along with the damages and his, his uh, lack of ability to, you know, future losses of not being able to make money and his, past suffering and pain and all that, it would have come out to about $400 million. So the lawyer for the plaintiff asked for more than what the jury um, awarded. So I would just like to imagine in my head that that one jury that said, no, it didn't agree to that amount was imagining that, that uh, the plaintiff should actually receive more, but Mm -hmm. that's just my imagination. It's not based on anything except for my thinking that that's how I would like it to be. But every other, every other um, decision was unanimous in this case. So that shows that if, if the other side calls appeals or calls for a mistrial, not all well, they did call for a mistrial, but it was shut down. So they're, they file for an appeal as they said that they are going to do. It is very unlikely that this ruling will be overturned. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to go for it just will drag out. It will take probably about a year for the decision to be made about an appeal. And meanwhile, uh, Mr. Johnson needs funds in order to get the proper treatment and care. Mm-hmm. And his wife is working two, two jobs, a di- a two, two jobs full time, working 14 hours a day in order to pay the bills. So my heart really goes out to this family. There is a GoFundMe out there for them. If that's something that uh, you're moved to do, I would really like for him to get the Gerson therapy, which is uh, of juicing organic juicing therapy, which has been shown to reverse cancer in stage four patients. So I think that's a really important thing that I hope that he will have the resources to do. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him do Gerson therapy and also ozone therapy at the same time. But that's, again, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Yeah. Because those two together and actually Gerson, I did some research on Gerson a long time ago and they did do uh, ozone protocols concurrently with the juicing. Oh, good. And, but I don't good. know what the status is now. That's almost 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, you're right. That That's amazing. I, I'm with you. I really hope that one juror was holding out. No, we should take their 3.1 billion sitting in cash or, you know, something just really silly yeah. juror yeah. saying, no, that's not enough. And yes. do we know, do you know how difficult it was originally for Dwayne Johnson to find a law firm to accept his case? I mean, was he struggling for years to find somebody or how did, do you know, do you have a backstory on how that occurred that you finally got a law firm? Mm, I wish, I wish I did. He, he actually, by the way, he likes to be pref- uh, referred to as Lee Johnson. His, okay. his legal name is Dwayne, but he likes to be referred to as Lee Johnson. So okay. yeah, I don't know the backstory. I do know that there are 4,000 other plaintiffs that are in line to sue and that the law firm expects 10,000 by the end of the fall, but they made that statement before this verdict. So my guess is that there will be even more than 10,000. There are people hearing about this now that have been using Roundup in their backyard. If they have liver disease, if they have Parkinson's, if they have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, if they have any type of cancer, they should be coming forward in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. I hope they do 
Yeah, and, and there are more law firms that are taking this uh, this issue on. I spoke to one of the lead lawyers afterwards, and I said, you know, complimenting him on this great job, and he says, yeah, this is this is great, but we have four law law firms on this right now. We need forty four. Uh-huh. So, because it's so huge, because they're and there's they've you know Monsanto and Bayer have you know almost limitless amount of money to to hire thousands of lawyers. So. There are other law firms, so I do I do encourage people to check out the law firms that are out there. The, the Baum Headland one is the one that we have in our flyer for pesticide applicators. We're actually recommending that our moms pass out a flyer when they see a pesticide applicator on the side of the road or at their school, their kid's school, spraying pesticides, that they give them one of our flyers that's available in Spanish or English on our website, momsacrossamerica.org, under action and toxin-free town campaign. They give them that flyer and it has the, the lawyer's phone number on there. So we do encourage more people to get involved in the lawsuit because they, Monsanto needs to be held accountable and it's Monsanto. This, this uh, filing of a lawsuit, right? This standing up and saying, I was harmed by this product. They knew it could cause harm and they didn't prevent it. That action of standing up for yourself and being a part of this lawsuit sends a message to every single chemical company in the world. And that's what we need to do now. This, I believe, is the beginning of the end of this chemical era. And that's what we've been in, is a chemical era. There are over 80,000 chemicals that have been introduced into our society since the 1940s, since my dad was a young man. And since then, only 12 have been banned or severely restricted. 12. Wow. So we've been if 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 a chemical company comes forward with a new chemical and goes to the EPA and submits it, they have a 99.99999% chance that they will be able to use that chemical for whatever they want that the EPA will not restrict them. And when I went to the EPA and spoke to them after we found glyphosate in mother's breast milk and 10,000 of our moms called them in 3 days, they granted us a meeting and I went there, we had a, a one-hour meeting that turned into a two-hour meeting. Um, I could tell you all kinds of things about that. But at the end of the meeting, the, the manager of the pesticide review board said to me, you know, our job is to approve chemicals and to assess the maximum level in which, uh, you know, the, the public or, you know, the environment or whatever can handle some, something to that extent. But he said, our job is to approve chemicals. That was the first thing that came out of his mouth. And I said to him, No your job is not to approve chemicals. It's to protect the environment and the people living in the environment. That's your job. And he, he looked at me with, it was like a struggle, like kind of like, you know, what do you want me to do? This is, this is my job. And I looked back at him and every member on that panel uh, during the, you know, previously during the meeting and said to them, you have children, you have loved ones. You need to protect them too. You need to stop this and stop it now. You're poisoning uh, our children, our you know, our breast milk, our families. This has to stop. And the problem is, is that this system has been set up such that the EPA has been set up as a chemical chemical approval agency. That's what it really is. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not what Rachel Carson intended when she wrote her book, Silent Springs, and, and the EPA was created. It was created 
with the intention of protecting the environment. But what it's what has happened is that the chemical companies lobby them so much. You know, a third of their salary is paid for by these chemical companies for the fees that they have to submit. When a third of your salary is is dependent on a chemical company, don't you think you're probably gonna listen to what they have to say in a particular way? Hmm. Yeah. You know? So um so the system has been has been set up in such a way that these uh, regulators do feel beholden to the chemical companies, and they and they are considered the black sheep in the EPA when they stand up and speak up to protect the environment. There, there's a certain culture and environment in the EPA. I've spoken to members of the EPA that uh, say, "Oh, you know, I'm already the black sheep. I'm, you know, I'm already shunned because I actually." care about what's going on into the, you know, going in and going on and going into the environment. So it's a, it's a mess and it needs to be cleaned up. And I know from having done a lot of research on different kinds of products and devices and all sorts of things, mostly involved in the environmental world, that oftentimes when something is done, there's this golden thing of something being researched in academia that if you say an academic or, you know, it was researched at such and such a university, that gives it like, duh, like it's magic. And it could be, except mm-hmm. the part that isn't disclosed often is that quite frequently the, the research is being paid for by a company who has an agenda. Now, this is my opinion, that they have an agenda. So they're setting up the protocol to design the kind of the result that they're looking for. I'm not saying people are being bought out. I could, but I will not. Well, maybe. Go ahead. <laughs> that that actually is what's happening, though. In many cases, they're they are the chemical company is funding departments of our universities. They are funding entire departments. They're um, giving grants that uh, professors know their you know basically their tenure is based on. Uh, the funding of, of many of these chemical companies. And there was actually a study done by, I believe, Pesticide Action Network, or it might have been Environmental Working Group, but one of those two did a study and showed that when the studies were funded by the chemical companies, four out of five of the times, the results were in favor of the chemical companies. That, Shocking. That's, that's a shocking statistic. <laughs> <laughs> shocking statistic. <laughs> yeah. So, so there is evidence that that is happening, and I've experienced things like that when I went to speak at the California uh, Health, uh, sorry, the Ca- California Horse Racing Board, and one of the board members was a veterinarian from UC Davis. He was a, you know, the the resident veterinarian, right, to speak on behalf of the health of the horses. And when I got up to speak about glyphosate being in the feed and on the straw, because this, this, a lot of the straw that they, and the hay that they eat or bed on is weed free. There's this new program that UC Davis has launched called weed free straw. And guess who funds UC UC Davis Monsanto and guess what chemicals are used to have the weed free straw be weed free. It's Roundup and glyphosate based herbicides. So this veterinarian that, you know, works for the school was very condescending, called me emotional, called it, you know, this is a long contested argument, was very condescending and dismissive to the information that I brought about with solid science, 
solid signs showing that glyphosate can harm animals. And he did not want to consider it. He actually, you know, refused to answer emails. And the one of the chairmen of the California Horse Racing Board, when I gave her the scientific information, said, I'm just going to throw this in the trash. Wow. To my face. Wow. Yeah. So here and here we have million dollar horses that are racing and dropping dead on the track. And they are consuming high levels of glyphosate in their feed, in their straw, and they're betting on it. And they wonder why these horses are suddenly having skyrocketing health issues, including heart attacks and broken bones and things that have been connected to the effects of glyphosate. So I'm sorry to go off away from the trial, but this is just another example of how professors that are at these universities have come forward and been very defensive, you know, very protective of, of using glyphosate in animal feed or in, you know, in the world. And, and you have to wonder if they're not being somehow compelled, feel compelled to do so because Monsanto funds their university. That's a big problem. Our, our students, our children are not going to get a fair education if the professors that are standing before them feel compelled to tell them brainwashing propaganda about the benefits of GMOs and toxic chemicals and science that can alter genes and instead of the risks and, and what they should really consider and question. If our children are being brainwashed, uh, this is, well, in many cases they are, then our future will be uh, in jeopardy, frankly. It makes me pause. It is really, I have way too many things just like that kind of story you just said about, you know, having trash, it's being thrown in the trash, just like, I'm not even going to read this. I'm not going to bother. We're not going to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're just not going to, that's not what we believe. We think you're lying or we, it's mind blowing um, how these things occur. And, and I, I know we're going away from the trial, but we'll get back there. I promise that leads to, to a whole nother conversation about lobbying, the amount of money that is given to Congress to support this giant machine of chemicals in our lives is really stunning. I don't have numbers. You may have numbers, but I mean, it just, I know from just looking at everything that I look at the amount of money that is spent in Congress on congressmen to get them to lean a direction is amazing. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I don't have any other words. It's just mind blowing. It, it is. And there's a, a video series, I think it's something about like clear the swamp or something like that, that was uh, going around on Facebook that talks about the, the amount of time that our congressmen and representatives have to spend raising money is, it's just shocking. It's overwhelming. Like the majority of the time that they spend up in the white in the, on the Hill is raising money. So they're meeting with lobbyists who are willing to donate money to them and tell them their side of the story. And, and our, elected officials feel obligated to accept this money because they have to raise certain amounts of money in order to get reelected. And the Speaker of the House pools that money together and then decides how that money gets divvied out into the different um, candidates and, and the different committees and you know what, what, how that money is spent. So the Speaker of the House has an incredible amount of power and a lot of the congressmen feel that they have to vote 
according to how the Speaker of the House wants him to vote in order to be considered to get a position on a certain committee, in order to be able to get access to certain funds, to accomplish what they were elected to accomplish, right? So if they told their constituents, I will uh, you know, create more jobs in the state, if, they're, if they want to be effective in that and certain rules have to be passed in order to create more jobs, they then feel compelled to vote however the Speaker of the House wants them to vote on other issues or any issue in order to be able to be effective in their job. So the money in politics is an extraordinarily huge barrier that we have before us. And really, that, that is one of the most important areas if you're an activist and you feel like taking action getting money out of politics is one of the most important things to do because not much can be done without that um, hurdle being overcome or being cleared out of the way. Uh, this, is, this hurdle, though, I want to say, should not be so overwhelming that it stalls you from taking action. My perspective was really sparked a lot by when my husband said, we need to stop appealing to the people in power and be the people in power. Mm-hmm. And for some of us, that means running for office, right, and becoming a part of that game and trying to change it. For others of us, I really believe that we consumers, especially women who make 90% of the household choices, we have the power right now. And we don't need to wait for these politicians to see through the piles of money that has been donated to them by, the, by these chemical companies and see the light you know, at the end of the tunnel and make the right choice. We don't have to wait for them to do that. Right now, today, we can educate each other, we can support each other, and we can stop buying these toxic chemicals and these toxic products. Any product that perpetuates the profits of these chemical companies should not be on your shopping list. Everything that you can do, every choice that you can make to buy organic, to buy less plastic, to buy less junk, you know, toys or even clothing. Clothing produces an incredible amount of toxins and usually uses GMO cotton. So if you can buy things from goodwill, if you can swap and trade things and share things or make things or reuse things and recycle things, you are opting out of the, the consumerism and this toxic treadmill of chemical cocktails being put into the planet. So that's, that's one thing that you can do every day is to stop shopping so much and to buy organic and to buy products that do not contain toxic chemicals. Well, and I think you can start by doing what – it can be overwhelming if you try and do it all at once. I'm, I, I'm an advocate for doing it all at once, but I think you can do it by starting out by just one thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can choose to use a cleaning product that is friendly to the environment. You can choose, like you say, you can choose to use that high percentage vinegar to kill weeds instead of spraying willy nilly some kind of, you know, who knows what it is. I'm I'm old enough that I was dusted regularly by the DDT because we would drive through the Salinas Valley. I lived in the Monterey, grew up on the Monterey Peninsula, and we'd drive up every once in a while to see my grandparents in what is now the Silicon Valley. And I would stick my head out the window because the biplanes were flying over the fields crop dusting. Wow. And it was DDT. And so back then, nobody knew. Of course, I was in a car filled with people smoking cigarettes, too. So what did nobody knew anything? <laughs> right. um, but I mean, you can make a choice to start by just using products in your home 
that are not adding to the toxic load of the environment. And then from there, then you choose not to buy a Cheerios. I'm not anti-Cheerios, but find a clean Cheerios, an organic mm -hmm. grain-based Cheerio. So you begin to blossom out. And eventually, once you get into the habit of the lifestyle, then suddenly there's a tipping point where you go, I can't imagine not that I ever used to buy that. That's at least my you know, thought. Yeah, that, that's what we could do is we can begin to create change by being demonstrations of change. Yeah. And the point is, is that now we know and now yeah. we can do better. We, we can. And there are options. And anywhere where you feel stopped and you don't see that there are options, ask for them. Ask the retailer, hey, I don't see a safe, non-toxic alternative of a weed killer. Can you please get one in the store? And if 10 people a week ask for that, I guarantee you that store owner is going to be looking for an alternative. It doesn't take many cu con uh, customers to yeah. make a request for something for them to consider it. Yeah. So just ask for it and be the one to say, you know what, we need to do this differently. If ours, if your school is spraying glyphosate as a herbicide right now, please be the one to go to the school principal and say, Hey, have you heard about the verdict that, you know, the school pesticide applicator won $289 billion, I mean, million dollars from Monsanto uh, because he got cancer. Have you heard about that? No, I didn't hear about that. Well, can we consider discontinuing the use of Roundup and glyphosate-based herbicides? Well, I, I might say, I, I guess we could take a look at that, right? That's all it takes is just a question and uh, presenting some information. So, we have some information. Speaking of one thing a day, you can go to momsacrossamerica.org and under action, we have the page Toxin Free Town campaign. And on that page, we have flyers, we have talking points, we have um, uh, letters that you can send to your senator or governors. Uh, they're all pretty much say the same thing, but they're just pre-written up. You know, that's for uh, particular people. And you feel free to use them and print them out and go to our data page if you want to include a few studies. You don't have to bring them like 90 studies like we have on the page, but if you could print out two or three of them that are particularly important, then um, that would be, I'm sure that the, you know, whoever you're presenting it to will be impressed enough by a few of them. There's one that shows that it causes liver disease. There's another one that shows it causes endocrine disruption, disruption. There's another one that shows it increases the chance of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma by 50%. These are glyphosate-based herbicides. So those three in particular would be, um, would be strong evidence to show anybody who's making a decision. And it, all it takes is asking them if you can have a meeting and then just sit down and talk about it and really come from a place that's not you're wrong and you're harming us and you're doing just, – just be like, you know what, I didn't know this until just recently, and I just thought you may not know, and can we have a conversation about it, and let's see what we can do together because – I know we all want to have safe, healthy children, right? Everybody, everybody does. So they're not your enemy. They're your partner in this. So just sit down with them as your partner. Well, I think there's such power, as you said early on, that I think there's such power with the moms as a vehicle because you can go to the schools as the mom and say, you know, have you read about, just as you said, mm -hmm. you know, take this decision that was just made, bring them some articles about it. And just say, I'm wondering, are we, are you using glyphosate on the school mm -hmm. play yard? Are you, how do you manage weeds here? Here mm -hmm. are some alternatives. Here are some things you can do. Can we have a conversation about that? Where, you know, you, you're the person, if you're the principal, you're the person that's responsible for our children while they're here every day. 
-hmm. Can we work on making this a clean, safe place for our kids? Yes. Yeah. And just asking them too. That's a good point. I, I assumed at my child's school that they were spaying roundup and I freaked out one day and posted something about it. And then one of the other moms that had been working with that school district, because it includes many different schools, right? Uh, said to me, are you sure? I think they switched over to um, Avenger, which is a citrus-based weed killer. And I was like, oh, I better go ask. <laughs> and so <laughs> I went and asked and they said, yeah, we use Avenger. It's not Roundup. It looked like it because it made the grass brown, but it wasn't, it wasn't glyphosate-based herbicides. It was, a, it was a safe, non-toxic version. And I was like, okay, I have never been so happy to publish an apology. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, I was wrong. It, this is not glyphosate-based herbicides. This is Avenger, which is a, you know, a non-toxic brand. And so, yeah, don't assume. Ask first. And uh, you also may want to ask in writing so that you can get an email back from them in writing saying what they use and how often and how much. That's always a good question to ask. Um, but approaching first one-on-one -on -one is, is the, the most effective way of doing it, just having that conversation. In fact, I, I showed our school principal the movie Genetic Roulette by Jeffrey Smith about GMOs, wanting him to, to be a part of switching the school food over to non-GMO and organic. And he didn't believe, this is not the school my children go to now, it's a different school, but that principal didn't believe that Monsanto or that any company could be that evil. But he did get that pesticides can be harmful to kids. So I asked, can you, can we please stop spraying Roundup around the school? And he said, oh yeah, that's, yes, we can do that. We, we, we don't really need to spray. We can do that. So it just took one conversation, actually two, one giving him the movie and the second one following up and seeing what he thought about it. So that happened probably four or five years ago and was a very simple conversation to have. So you can do one thing a day, just pick something that matters the most to you, that you feel more comfortable, the most comfortable with, the people that you're most related to, and uh, you'll sleep better at night. You'll, you'll feel better and you will make a difference for many other people. And, and that's what just we need to do in the world right now is just think about that future we're creating that, and how it impacts all of us. And our future generations. Your yes. kids are going to have kids. Uh, we're, we're stewards of the planet for the people that are going to come next. Yes, we are. So it's really a thing. I, I want to jump back. Th this is part of this. Now that we have this declaration of this trial with the verdict and all of that, this was from the, uh, you know, the bit you were on with the morning show. They talked about something from a perspective that I just wanted to address. They talked about that in the, they re quoted a report talking about manufacturers such as Quaker and General Mills stating that they meet regulatory safety levels. There's that, that that was sort of, that's the hard, you know, no, we're fine. We meet regulatory levels. There's that mm -hmm. as a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then the one that really blows my mind is that they discussed that organic products seem to have lower levels. And they were mm -hmm. saying that like that they had lower levels was good versus what I'm going toward is why do they have any levels? Right. That's how cranky I am. I'm like, I don't want to hear lower levels. I don't want to hear anything about it. I mean, I live in Northern California in wine country where I know that we are showing trace amounts of glyphosate in organic wines. And that's not because the organic vineyard growers are spraying glyphosate. It's because it's in the water table. It's yes, in the and, area. And, and possibly fertilizer, but most grape growers don't use uh, that, those types of fertilizers. So, yes, it could be in the rain could be in the irrigation water, 
could be drifting. And, and that's the problem. And that's why we need to see more lobbying for banning glyphosate altogether, because it doesn't, co it doesn't coexist with organic. It contaminates organic. It ruins the, uh, the brand integrity. It is, it is not working to grow organic food next to crops that are being sprayed with glyphosate. So this, this whole pattern, this whole treadmill of, of toxic chemicals has to stop. It's just not working. It's contaminating the entire planet. So the regulatory safety measures that you mentioned, I want to speak to that for a second. And, and what most people don't know, or they just assume, <clears throat> is that when a product is on the shelf at Home Depot or Lowe's, or it's being poured into a tractor to spray all over their food, that that product as it is in that bottle has been approved by the EPA. That's a pretty safe assumption, right? Oh, they're selling it, right? It's, it's, got, a, it's got a directions label on it. That's all been assessed by some scientist and it's been approved by the EPA. Well, that's, that's not the case. In fact, the EPA only requires safety studies on one ingredient in that product. They call it the active ingredient. And they, they allow the manufacturer to choose which the active ingredient that is. So we call it the declared active chemical ingredient because they just declare that glyphosate is the active chemical ingredient. Interestingly enough, POEA is also in glyphosate-based herbicides in the U.S., but it's not allowed now in many countries in Europe because it is an extremely toxic surfactant. There's also arsenic in Roundup. There's heavy metals. There are many toxic chemicals in Roundup final formulation that have never been assessed by the EPA. And we know this. I have gone to the EPA. I have looked them in the eye, the Pesticide Review Board, and I asked them, do you have any long-term animal studies with blood analysis on the final formulation of Roundup? And they said, which one? There's hundreds of them. And I said, any of them. And the director of the review board looked back at me and said, we've heard your questions. We, we will assess them. We will consider the information, blah, 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 blah. He, he ended the meeting. He didn't answer my question. And we'll take it under consideration. Yeah. Really? So, so ah. wait, I, I want to make sure that I said that right. I, yeah. I said, do you, do you have any long-term animal studies on the final formulation of Roundup? And they said, uh, no, not that we're aware of. And then I said, how can you claim that it's safe then? And then he ended the meeting. So they can't claim that it's safe. And no one who's using the product, a farmer, a helicopter sprayer, a um, school groundskeeper, can say to you, well, the EPA has deemed this safe. So we're using it. It's safe. And, and, we're, and the levels that are being used, the, whatever that are potentially that are in the food supply, it's safe. No, that there's no scientific basis for that because the EPA has not assessed the any scientific studies on the final formulation and they have admitted to that that's just not their policy that's not what they do so this goes for not just glyphosate based herbicides but any chemical product that's out there on the shelves the final it is not their policy to require safety studies on the final formulation and that in itself is so flawed and and so wrong and so misleading to the American public, policy needs to be changed immediately. There needs to be only final formulation approvals 
and there needs to be testing done on the combination. If any farmer is allowed to spray 2,4-D and then a week later he's allowed to spray uh, dicama and the next day he's allowed to spray glyphosate, well then the interaction, the synergistic effects of all of those chemicals should be assessed. And, And that's not happening now. Absolutely not happening. So the regulatory safety measures as far as the final formulations are completely flawed. And then as far as the amounts go that are allowed in our food, most people don't know that the allowable daily intake, that amount that they're saying is so low that it's not going to be harmful, that amount is determined by the science connected to a 175-pound man, not a fetus, not not Uh. a fetus, not a baby. It's not taking that into consideration. It's not taking into in consideration a child who may have autoimmune issues, right, or a, a weakened liver or anything like that. It's not taking into consideration uh, that this chemical has been shown to bioaccumulate. So if a child is eating 1,100, you know, micrograms per kilogram a day and, and, and 30% of that bioaccumulates and the next day he has the same amount in his orange juice on a piece of toast and 30% of that bioaccumulates, how soon before there's a mouse in that child's bones that can contribute to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? How many days does that take? How many weeks? How many months? How many years? That's not being considered when they say this, this recommended daily, I think it's 1.75 nanograms per kilogram for body weight in the US. And I believe in the, um, the UK, it's 17 times lower. But I don't have that exact figure, so don't don't quote me on that. But that it's whatever it is, whatever we allow in the U.S. I know for sure is 17 times higher than what the EU allows, and so that amount is you know that's questionable, right there, right? But that amount it does not take into consideration a bio bioaccumulation, which has been shown to to do in bone marrow, in tendons, and in breast milk. Glyphosate does bioaccumulate, so there are serious issues with the safety measures concerning the, the allowable levels that are allowed in our foods. And anybody saying that those levels are safe uh, completely are making statements not based on science. And then you mentioned the organic products. Absolutely, organic products should not have any glyphosate in them at all. But I also don't think that organic farmers should, be, should lose their livelihoods for working as hard as they can and as best they can to keep their crops clean and safe. And then they shouldn't be the one to lose their livelihoods because their neighbors, it it drifted over into their crops. I I think that there needs to be accountability based on uh, the neighbors polluting their crops. It shouldn't be based on, you know, the the organic farmer shouldn't suffer. So um, I happen to be a consumer representative now on the California Organic Products Advisory Committee. So I'll be bringing uh, to the advisory committee, to the California Organic Standards Board, the the issues that we cons- consumers are are concerned about and hoping to contribute in that area that our organic standards must be stringent. They must protect the American people and we must take a very rigorous action to ban glyphosate. We must protect the uh, organic farming industry and not just glyphosate, but all toxic chemicals that are a threat to organic products. So we're we're hoping to do that and make progress. And I think this lawsuit has made a huge difference. And going forward, things will definitely be different. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do a show. Specifically, even though we went afield, it's really still tied to 
the tipping point of this lawsuit. This lawsuit gives us such a great in time to have everybody pay attention to it, to then as the work that you're doing and the work that Moms Across America is doing and other groups are doing to really have a point of, look, this is a real thing. Yes. No, it's really, it's really, they lost in court. It's been stated. And the cascade yes. effect is going to be stupendously great. Yeah. And, so, and it wasn't, they didn't, they didn't um, get here by accident. You know, one of the questions, number 15 under punitive damages was, did you find by clear and convincing evidence that Monsanto acted with malice or, or oppression, oppression in the conduct upon which you base uh, base your finding of liability in favor of Mr. Johnson? And they said yes. And was the conduct constituting malice or oppression committed, ratified, or authorized by one or more officers, dic- directors, and managing agents of Monsanto acting on behalf of Monsanto? And they said yes. So it's not just one person. This was not just an accident. This was not just we didn't know about this. This, this was absolutely they knew about this, and more than one of them knew about this. They covered it up, and therefore, they should pay $250 million to Mr. Johnson. And, um, that, and then along with the other amounts, $33 million, $4 million, and a, a couple other million for past economic loss and future economic loss, it came up to $289.2 million. And with the 4,000 other lawsuits waiting in the wing, Monsanto's clearly going to have to reconsider fighting, uh, you know, defending themselves against each case and consider a settlement. And, and I would hope that Bayer would consider retiring Roundup, removing this product off the shelves and go in a completely different direction. These companies are big enough now that they could do something like, hey, let's look at all the plastic in the ocean. Perhaps we could create some type of boat or machine or something that cleans that up. Perhaps we can create some type of eco-friendly way to recycle plastic or to reduce trash. Perhaps we can create some type of unit or, or device that helps with reducing food waste in third world countries. There are many other things that need to be invested in. I mean, education around the world is the number one thing that we're lacking in. Education is, is far more important so that people can have jobs and then earn the money to create their own uh, food or to purchase their own food rather than just trying to give them free food. You know, having a company, I mean, sorry, a country dependent on the United States donating free grain to them does not help them to be sustainable in the long run. It just makes them dependent on us and basically makes them more downtrodden. It doesn't help them. They need, they need investment in their infrastructure and education in order to create jobs and to have a sustainable local community with their own food systems. And that's what we all need to be looking at, growing food in our own backyard, our own communities, and fostering community strength and development through our community gardens and our, our local food systems. And I'm excited to see more and more of that happening across the country. That's a whole nother show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there is, I know a lot about that, but I can't now. 
I'm, right. I'm stunned to find we're out of time. You and I oh, can do we this. Are. For, I know, I know. It's shocking. Wow. That we got right, just like that. Badoom, and we're yes. here. It's it just I knew it was gonna happen like this. That was really great then. That was a great report. You and I will be talking again soon. <laughs> we Thank just you. have to start a show yeah. just to talk about all these things completely separately because there's so many categories. So much but happening. it's so exciting to see, you know, what moms across America. So give us give us your contact information and all that once again. Sure. Um, so that people have it current. So our website is momsacrossamerica.org and I'm also the author of the book Unstoppable: Transforming Sickness and Struggle into Triumph, Empowerment and a Celebration of Community. That's available on Amazon and you can read more about it on our website momsacrossamerica.org. And I really do hope you'll sign up for our newsletter to uh uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and get involved and share the information that we've, we make available. It's just very exciting to have more and more people uh, connect and share with us. We appreciate it very much. It's a really great organization. I'm a big fan of the organization. I think moms can change the world. Thank you. We, so we, we believe, we believe we are. So <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We're, it's on the way it's coming, right, exactly. but with support from many people, many men and, you know, students and doctors and lawyers and farmers and scientists, all of us, it takes all of us. And we are so grateful to be connecting with people like you and people around the world that are working on creating health and freedom uh, in America and around the world. It's very exciting. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. That was great. Once again, and everybody have a great rest of the week. Okay. Bye-bye.